0: RDI Insights. Mike Dempsey in conversation with Royal Designers.
1: Hello and welcome to the RDI Insights podcast series, where I will be interviewing major figures in the design industry who have been made RSA Royal Designers for Industry, the highest accolade for a designer in the UK. The award was introduced in 1936 to highlight an honour the work of industrial designers for their sustained creative excellence and benefit to society. I have travelled to Bristol to visit Ardman Animation, here at their impressive purpose-built HQ. This is also the base of Nick Park, Britain's most celebrated animator, with four Oscars, five BAFTAs, a CBE and an RDI to his name. He is, of course, responsible for the creation of what has become a national treasure. Wallace and Gromit are the country's best-loved characters. They've even graced our postage stamps. For Park, it has been a long journey that started as a teenager in Preston, where as a shy, solitary boy, he would while away the hours creating flickbook animations using his mother's 8mm camera. Little did he know that that act would propel him into the stratosphere of the film world. In this candid interview, Nick Park talks about his approach to filmmaking, his view on big-budget Hollywood productions, and the increasing use of digital animation. But I started with a question about where his creativity came from all those years ago.
0: From being very young, my, my parents encouraged us all to be creative. We're all good at making things. And my oldest two brothers have more gone into... One into... He's more of a scientist and a geologist, another another more practical into electrician and plumber. And I've got a sister who's very creative, who does a lot of uh, painting and batik. And and my youngest brother is very creative with the woodwork, as m- my dad was as well.
1: Yes, I think your, your father was a very practical man, and mm. I think that's... It, often I think it's said that you know your, your your character, Wallace is kind of perhaps loosely based on your father anyway.
0: Yeah, I've I've only come to realise that in retrospect really that I, I didn't consciously base it on Wallace on him, but mm. it was after after making Grande out about this guy who builds a rocket and the way it has this little home from home inside the rocket, you know, comfy chairs and wallpaper, and it was um it was really when I was completing that film I. I It just reminded me of my dad building this caravan from scratch. My mum helped as well, and and they did up the interior, so it was a little home from home. But I just suddenly thought, this is the rocket. I've somehow taken this from my dad and from my parents. What was the sort of progress from secondary school? Yeah, well, from about 13... I mean, I was was drawing from very young, really, but I didn't really know it was going to be clay animation, and I, I... I just experimented with all sorts. It just reminded me actually there was a, a Bob Godfrey who sadly passed away recently Yes, he, did, yes. he presented a program which was on it in about nineteen seventy four or seventy five which unheard of really it was a it was a t v program that was on on Sunday mornings. How to make your own it was the do it yourself film animation show. And at the time, no one knew about animation. You know, they—they they, it was all cartoons. And um, so to have such a specialist program on BBC, yes. and, and so I used to watch this avidly. But I always thought, and it, and it influenced what I was doing. And I always thought that this would be a hobby for me. You know, that it was like. I loved the attention it gave me because I was a very quiet mm. and invisible kind of person, really. And my friends talked about it and the school talked about it and I showed my films at school. It was my mum and dad said, why don't you do an art foundation course? And so I did. And, but even on that course, I didn't think that my animation that I did at home, because it was fun and about humour, <laughs> and mm. I thought that's not art because it's not, painting and sculpture and, you know, stained glass and all the things we were doing on Founday, life drawing. It was very much a hobby, and I didn't even tell my tutors that I did animation until my friends told them, basically, on right. the course. And they, this is nearly the end of the course, and they were, why didn't you tell us? That's amazing. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've never met anyone who does animation. Sort of. They were very encouraging, suddenly, and, and, and we made a, a little film towards the end of the course. And um, my dad said, "Then why don't you apply for a BA honours in filmmaking and, and uh, animation?" And that, that was, even then was to me beyond. I think, cause coming from Preston, it was people just didn't go into the film business or TV even. It, it was kind of not a real consideration for yeah. some reason, and, I mean, in my mind, particularly anyway. Yeah. So that blew me away really, and I did, and I, I applied to the greatest college at the time it was West Surrey was Farnham, West Surrey College of Art and Design. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I applied there, but I couldn't afford the train fare to get there. So I went to Sheffield, um, Sheffield Polytechnic, and I loved it there, so I, that's where I, I went.
1: And what did you do there? You were able to, to do animation at Sheffield? Yeah, it was,
0: uh, it was a film course that had animation equipment. Right. Uh, they didn't get many many animators, but people dabbled in it, and so the tutors were very open, a very free, free kind of course freely structured and they let me kind of indulge in animation for the whole three years apart from bits of live action kind of crash course, crash courses in filming and editing and stuff which was very useful.
1: And so obviously your passion developed there that followed on to the National Film and Television School.
0: That's right yeah at art school I made a I experimented with chalk on blackboard and more experimental and some puppet animation and a bit of drawn on at um, my tutor there, Barry Callahan and, and Paul Hayward, they they said, "Why don't you apply to the National Film and TV School?" And which I did and got in. And they were looking for more animators at the time. Was it a big shock to you? It was because it was such an exclusive place, and uh, there, were, there were people from Sheffield who would got in before. There was uh, some animators who went before me from Sheffield called Derek Hayes and Phil Austin, and they'd applied there and. And being there, and they set up the animation unit really. So I was following in their footsteps.
1: H- having had three years at Sheffield Polytechnic, you obviously were relatively well versed in mm. the basics of animation. Mm. So how quickly did you settle into wanting to make the, your first major short film?
0: I mean, at the National Film and TV School, they uh, they were just setting up the animation department, and uh, you had, in the first year, you had to kind of do all these different. Sort of crash courses in documentary making and filmmaking and film studies and uh, editing and, and that was all really quite good stuff to know actually. So d- did they get involved? You got involved with the various crafts, cinematography, absolutely. Really, yes. they, they really. Yes.
1: T- so they don't it, sort of. Yes. Well, that's very lighting, good. But obviously, makes
0: a. Yeah, all the crafts: sound recording, lighting, yeah. sound mixing. So it was great to have all that that knowledge really. Yes. And and in the sec- it was a three-year course back then. Right. And, um, you know towards the end of the first year I was looking for what would be my project that I would do for the rest of being animation there wasn't going to be time to do more than one really Mm. and I I was I was toying with with all sorts of animation and and just thought I'd do some tests in in plasticine you know using clay it was with Gromit and and Wallace just some they still exist somewhere (laughs) these tests I remember just moving the eyebrows and and how that sort of wowed people, yeah. really.
1: Uh, I turned up a guy called uh, Joseph Sum. Have you ever heard of Joseph Sum? No. Who made a film in 1926 called uh, Penwiper and, and Greener Pastures, which mm. is a really extraordinary little film, no. all made of clay. No. And then another guy called Art Clokey. Oh,
0: yeah. You know yes. Art 19, Yes, yeah. that's right, 1953. And yeah.
1: Very interesting oh, to, yeah. to see that. And, of course, I think much later when you left exactly mm. at the same time that you were, I think, making um, Creature Comforts or about that time, a pingu appeared. Mm, um, yes. So tell yes, me a, a, about right. grand, uh, A Grand Day because that yes. really was the most pivotal mm. thing for you at, the, at that time. It was a long gestation period, wasn't it?
0: It, it was. Um, I mean, I I think being, say, you know, the the, the film school wasn't really it was just setting up for animation and i don't think anyone had um at that time an idea of how long animation would take so i was there there was a small bunch of us there especially with puppet animation or clay animation so i sort of bit off too much really i had a script that was about 20 pages but it was going to take me another nine years to make and i didn't know that i just set out i remember it took me a year and a half to film it's wallace and gromit building the rocket it took me a year and a half to film it and that was a paragraph in the script that said wallace and gromit now build a rockets <laughs> it is a very painstaking um area isn't it and, yeah. I, and it was obviously going to take me forever to do and it was i had bits of help and the lighting and model making but i was pretty much single-handed with it and, and then i i knew of Peter Lord and David Sproxton. They'd been heroes of mine for quite a few years. I used to watch Morph on the TV. Of course, and, yes.
1: Which had been uh, going since mm, 1971, I think. Yeah, yeah. A long time yeah. ago.
0: And and they'd also done some stuff for the BBC and Channel 4 using conversations. Mm-hmm. It was the talk of the art school, right. uh, really. And so there was money to get people in to give a talk. And so I, I asked through a friend. I managed to contact them, and they came in and talked about their work. And they happened to see some of the work I was doing. And so in the summer, I got a phone call from them to say, Could you, in 1983, I think it was, come and work for us, uh, help on Morph and things like that. So I just, I needed the money. I was a student and, um, and it was the perfect summer job to have. So you came down here? Were they mm. still based? They were based in Bristol. Yeah, they were in a little, it was a... Uh, there was editing and all sorts in the same building uh, uh, at the top of St Michael's Hill in Bristol it was very small compared to this uh, and uh, room for kind of one set to be filmed at a time sort of thing but that was great there was only two or three people here then really I, I did that for about a month and then came back again the next summer and, and they kept saying why don't you come and work for us full time right. uh, which was <laughs> crazy really because I thought if I do I'll, I, I, I'll, I'll never finish my own work and I'll, I'll be an assistant animator for the rest of my life or something. They respected that, but eventually I ran out of time at the school and the, the, the film school used to then turn a blind eye and let students just carry on till they finished projects. And But I had no money and uh, they eventually said, why, do you, why don't we help you make your film, bring it to Bristol, work for us part-time and we'll help you finish your film part-time. And that was the best of both worlds, really.
1: And actually, at, at that time when you were working here in Bristol for Ardman, you... Um You worked on Peter Gabriel's uh, video for Sledgehammer, which Mm. is very well known. But what I was um, amazed to discover is that you you actually animated the the oven-ready chicken sequence. (laughs) And the Brothers Quay did the claymation sequence, Uh, which I found very interesting because, Um, you know, your sequence, which is these little chickens dancing in front of a rather a dark curtain reminded me very much of sort of David Lynch yes. and, and to a certain extent, the kind of sinister quality that the brothers Quay have. Mm. And it was seemed, seemed, far removed from, you know, the sort of Nick Park, we know the sort of, you know, rather charming. Was that simply because it was a job and that's what you it were was. told to
0: do? It was really. I, I mean, at that, at that time I was, I was doing a grand day out in one corner of the studio. Right. And, and then uh, I was working on commercials and all sorts part time. And, uh, yeah, I, I was part of a group of people. I was a yeah. jo- I was doing a jo- I was a jobbing animator there right. and was given that that task. Yeah, there was a whole, there was uh, another company who were next door to was David Anderson's company as well. Right, and the brothers Quay and they all did, they did more of the kind of object animation really of of uh, fish and fruit and going in into Peter Gabriel's head. Yes. But it was a great, it's a great break for us because we, we were we were at the time wanting to branch out and experiment more. Yes. And, and along along came Peter Gabriel and and the director Steve Johnson Amelia Ardman were part of a group and we, we were all it was about probably about twelve or others all doing yes. different things in different parts of the studio. You completed Grand Day Out, that was nominated
1: for an Oscar along with a lot of other mm-hmm. accolades. But you, I'm interested in the Creature Comfort series, because mm-hmm. because of the kind of unscripted, non-actor mm-hmm. participation, which ended up creating such a sort of wonderful series, which is full of humanity and charm, and also mm-hmm. incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately, I think, won you your first Oscar. Uh, yes, it so did, So yes. were you doing that yeah. sort of... Because I think they were both yeah. nominated at the same time, so yeah. you must have yes. been doing that as well. At, um,
0: yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was a crazy time, um... Really, because, as you know, I'd spent seven years on a, a Grand Day Out, m- much a bit part-time. Yeah. It? At that point, 1989, there was a group of us, different directors in the, in the company. And you know, Peter Lord was one of them, uh, Barry Purvis, Richard Goloshovsky. And we were, we were thinking, what can we, how can we uh, approach Channel 4 for some some money to make a little series and the only thing we could think we had in common was to carry on what Pete and Dave had already done with found conversation, um, recorded conversation like this with members of the public and so we got these different ideas together and mine just happened to be doing what Pete and Dave had already done but this time with animals. My idea was to go to the zoo and hear what people say about the animals but then reverse it and put those words into the mouths of the animals rather than the people, so that um, it's the animals talking about the people. Mm. And it didn't quite work like that. It was really hard. It was really hard to get the, anything really that good for different reasons. Although
1: you had that wonderful, I think, was it a, a lion, um, talking yeah. about wanting more space. Yes. Which, which worked yeah. so well.
0: Yeah, well, eventually I had to forget recording in the zoo and, and rather just go up to people and say, what do you think about zoos and how would you like it? And But I wanted it... They were talking about the animals in the zoo separate to them and I wanted it how do they feel about where they live and so I went, this Brazilian guy who... Uh, I knew him vaguely already, and he had a very small flat and he hated living in Britain. So I thought, perfect candidate. And I went to kind of old people's homes and places like that.
1: The, the, the Brazilian guy you're talking did, did he see the film eventually? And I think
0: he, did, he, left, he left before I finished the film. Oh, no, really? I, I, tried I to wonder contact, whether he uh, yeah. has
1: ever recognised his voice. Yes.
0: Well, I, I heard through a contact of his that mm. he did know the film, and... It, he, I think he's a geologist that goes to conferences and, and oh. he's always asked to do a, <laughs> <laughs> the Jaguar and say space with, you know, with his hands in the air.
1: Well, that got you your first Oscar, Creature Compass, which mm-hmm. I've heard you talk about the event, but I'm still going to ask you again. Mm-hmm. You know That feeling of winning an Oscar, I mean, you mm-hmm. have four, which is mm-hmm. uh, an amazing achievement, mm-hmm. but uh, that first occasion... Or I think you, you didn't even have a tie. Uh, you, you, <laughs> no, I didn't. Because you didn't that. think
0: you were going to win. <laughs> I didn't take a tie. No, I, I... Oh, gosh, it was crazy time, really, because I came from... I, I mean, well had a great pedigree and behind them, but... I, I came from nowhere, with, suddenly I had two films that were nominated mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and uh, you know, made Creature Comforts in the final three months of making Grand Day Out. I was just waiting for, for the uh, mixing studio to become free on, at the film school for a Grand Day Out, and in that time made Creature Comforts. So I suddenly had two, and it, Creature Comforts kind of grabbed all the attention because it won the Oscar. It mm. kind of grabbed all the attention, and so Wallace and Gromit were kind of on the back, you know, out of the limelight, really, uh, for a long time.
1: So, so what's the feeling when they they say, "And the Oscar goes to"? Well,
0: <laughs> I mean, you feel as a as a young, very inexperienced animator. I've never no, I'd never been to L. A. before, and to go to the Oscars in the heart of Hollywood and think thinking. I I, I move plasticine around, I you know, and there's Dustin Hoffman and <laughs> Sophia Loren, you know, walking past. So you feel completely, I felt I felt completely out of place, and you know, because working with you know animation isn't a glamorous thing at all. I don't think filmmaking is glamorous anyway. To be honest, mm. the Oscars is quite kind of yes. separate, you know, to yes. the real business of filmmaking.
1: After making A Grandeur, you obviously then went on to to produce more Wallace and Gromit the ones we all know looking at the first film grand air and then the others that have followed you can see the sophistication that mm. has followed in the in everything the light the lighting i mean the the lighting particularly i think is extraordinary really because you it, it's shot very much like a feature film you know very seriously which yes. i you know so many uh animated films previous to that had proper sets and backdrops mm. uh, Quite brightly lit, but you you got a lot of atmosphere into those sets, particularly
0: the sinister penguin mm. um, character. Great team involved, you know, the, yeah. uh, as well uh, Tristan Oliver and Dave Alex Redette and uh, Steve Box animating the penguin. Is
1: that because you were able to get a much bigger films are a collective? I mean, they're, they're a collaborative thing, and you have your cinematographer and you have your. You know, your set designer and your costume. Does it work that way with you? You have all of those departments it, it that you select yourself as the director?
0: De- definitely. It's, ma- it's like making a film, but in miniature. In, miniature. in a way, that's what I, I love about it, really, is is that you are making a movie, but. Your characters, you know, the penguin three inches high, four inches high. And they, they don't
1: demand Winnebago's and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, special... <laughs>
0: Getting refused to come out of the trailer. Um, I but was um, going to talk yeah. a little
1: bit about actors, you know, working with that, because it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a sort of an interesting era. I mean, the obviously when you started, the the actor that we all know, mm-hmm. that uh, is the voice of Wallace, Peter, Peter Salas, you just had one actor to deal with. But a little later, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once you got into a larger much larger productions, you had a, an array of actors, Nell Gibson, mm-hmm. Timothy Spall, Miranda Richardson, Ralph Fiennes, Helena Bonkart, et etc. How is it work, working on that larger scale as a director working with those? And how does it work yes. directing uh, voice artists? Do you stand with them and say, you know, more emphasis on that word or articulate more? How does it work with you?
0: Yeah, well, I think I, I, I'm probably guilty of treating it very much like the animation, really, in that it's very, very finickety and um, fussy about everything but yeah you I actually don't even like talking over the headphones and the microphone to them because I like to get in there with them and be able to talk and, and is it voiced yeah, first or the voices first yeah because then then the animator can work to the voice and that's broken down into frames so, so if a if a character's in the middle of a long sentence you as an animator you're thinking how can i keep the audience entertained you know while they're chatting away maybe we even emphasize the fact that it's a bit of a, a long sentence and have them tapping their fingers or a background yeah. character getting bored or i yeah. mean do you,
1: do you, do you when when you are producing i take it you are you still very hands on with um, animation or, or are you more directing these days and others are
0: doing the thumbprint I, i'm more directing yeah uh, and, and it's it's because the bigger the production gets the more you, the, you know, you've got to do it at more speed and yeah with more money and the more hands you've got so I've direct more animators uh, character design though and making the originals i
1: i noticed that on um looking at the credits for a grand day out i think although a lot of people to thank no there are obviously people that put money in and you thank them but i think the basic production credits were down to more or less about 16 people on that film mm-hmm. whereas um on chicken run mm-hmm. it was in excess of 326 right. so it's a much bigger and then there were a whole load of people thank as well yeah, yeah. and i know that that working on these larger productions had its own problems uh, which have, have been written about you know the, the collaboration do you do you ever sort of think, well, I prefer those more intimate days when it was just me and Peter Sellers and mm-hmm. a couple of friends?
0: Yeah, the, I mean, you always long for that that simplicity. and uh, But, you know, you also forget how, uh, you know, as soon as we started making, uh, you know, films with a proper budget and proper, uh, well, you know, even Wrong Trousers, which had a crew of about, um, I think there were about twelve, eight eight or 12 of us actually on the floor, but... Two of us, two of two or three of us animating the whole thing. Yeah. It, but the pressure was enormous then to get it, get it done on time and for the budget. Um, it, it's easy to have rosy glasses about the what past. it used to be. Yes. Uh, uh, but I do. Yes. Part of me longs for smallness again, and and also make. I love doing the feature films. Uh, there's something really satisfying about having overall creative control over everything, but at the same time. Uh, what i love i think the main thing is is that with shorter films you can get ideas out quicker yes and, and move on and, and it's it's hard on a feature film to you know you think of a joke and 4 years later you see it on the screen yes
1: and, uh, a bit uh, like an architect in fact
0: right yeah. because they are,
1: you know they're, they're conceiving something on mm-hmm. paper and yeah. it's in 4 or 5 years or even yeah. longer before yeah. Yeah. you know the shard goes up or whatever yeah. you know so it's, 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 it's as painstaking as that, really. You're known for working with, I think you'd be referred to as the Walt Disney of claymation, quite <laughs> rightly. Have you ever had the inkling yourself to switch over to digital? I know that Aardman have produced a couple of big, all-digital films. Is that, does yes. that interest you? And I, I'm sure that you, there are digital interventions within your own films for practical mm-hmm. reasons, but generally it, it's it's... It's clay, isn't it? Yes. It's good old clay. Yes,
0: and I, I, I tend to be in favour of the clay myself, um, although, you know, like you say, we, we, we've we ventured into digital art for many years now, actually. I'm not a purist about it, really, but I, I think, for me, I, I look back at how I think a lot of the humour and the sensibility, that, that there's a lot that comes from it being clay, uh, that's actually more important. It's not just a... I mean, I think the script is all important and the story. Sure. And, but I think just to, just to think you can then do that any old way mm. is the clay has got something to do with is it. Is it
1: something about the sort of imperfection mm. or the... Because yes. often with digitally animated films, mm. they are unbelievably... Mm. I mean, fur mm. and hair, all sorts of you know, intricate things yes. can be are just so... Yes. I mean, I, I'd yes, recently I seen so. The Life of Pi and was... Mm. I was stunned to discover that the tiger was mm. virtually mm. completely, anim- you know, yeah. CGI. I couldn't believe it because yeah. it is so... It, it's got to a point now where, will mm. they need actors anymore? Yes. Will they be, you know... Yes. It, almost as you, you've you yes. got your character, you know, Wallace yes. and Gromit, and they don't answer back and they don't demand this. It almost create digital mm. film stars and they wouldn't... They'll just do what they're told.
0: Mm. I know, I, I agree, really. I, I, there's something about how showing the the vulnerability or the, the fact that it's, it is just clay, you know, it's a piece yeah. of clay. Yeah. I think there's something that you perceive, it's like using real instruments rather than, I don't know what it is that's more attractive. And I don't know whether it's, somebody was telling me about the Michelangelo statue that was, that was so beautiful in um, St. Peter's in Rome, you know, of the Mary holding the Christ, you know, the, the dead Christ, saying that it was so beautiful, Michelangelo thought it was so beautiful, it was unapproachable. Right, And I wondered if there's a, something... I saw a trailer. For, I think it was for Tangled, Untangled. Um, it was for the trailer for the second one. And, and it was so perfect. Maybe I shouldn't talk about a specific film. But <laughs> no, but I,
1: I think I know what you're saying. Yes. I mean, I, I've worked but with perfectionists. Mm-hmm. And there's something about working something to such an extent it becomes dead. Mm-hmm. It loses yes. a, you know, sense of humanity yes. or the frailties. Mm-hmm. Yes. And maybe those clay characters... Have got that vulnerability. Mm. You can see the thumbprint. You can literally yes. see the little dents. Yeah. And I know that can be replicated on um, yes. digitally, but it's not mm. quite the same. No. Is it? There's something no. human.
0: And it's a, it's a. I think it's a tricky tension actually, as well thinking about it. That is because you know you could see clay animation that actually looks a bit ropey and a bit rubbish because as an artist you are trying to push the medium you're working in to push it beyond itself and to get something out at the same time you have to have a humility towards the medium as well and it's and it's that balance you know where you 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 can't let the medium be fully control you but you've got to let it be itself as well yeah it's it's kind of
1: you've won four oscars as i mentioned earlier and Laurie Load of BAFTAs and many other accolades, including Royal Designer for Industry and the CBE. Is there anything you have your sights on that
0: you have? That you have? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing left. <laughs> There's nothing a left. A lot of pressure on you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I never had my sights on those, really. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's great. Uh, it has been great to be nominated and to, to actually win as well and I don't know I don't think there is I mean the you must be the most awarded animator I think John Lasseter is
1: mm. is he behind oh, you he's, I don't I think, not, he, never I think he's three I'm not sure but I think he, <laughs> you know he's the he's, got the, he's on the digital side <laughs> yeah he's got enough
0: <laughs> I, I don't know how many Oscars I, I I must say I don't spend a lot of time no. thinking about who's
1: got one. how do you separate work from everyday life or is it for you it there is no difference you're thinking all the time or yeah. I, i'm just interested to know you know whether you do switch off i mean i did hear you say i think on mm. desert island this you like bird watching
0: you get much time to do that yeah i I, I do I, I i'm quite into leisure time <laughs> mm. I, I like golf as well and uh, mm-hmm. all sorts of, i mean i don't go out specifically bird watching much but i love to just be out in the country and, mm whether walking or driving or whatever or pub lunch or whatever yeah it's just i do i i actually when by bird watching i'm not someone who goes around looking for rare no. rare birds or anything i i love the birds in the garden yes yeah. i can sit and watch those and just be as happy as seeing a rare Finch or something. And what
1: about writing? Do you write mostly yourself? Or you collaborate with others to, you know, yeah. maybe expand an idea. How does I, that work?
0: I do. I, I don't feel that writing's my my real forte. Actually, though, I it depends what you mean by write. A lot of my writing is doodling. Kind of I think and, storylines. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. just an outline. Yeah, and I do sit at the computer, and I do spend a lot of my day just bashing out ideas. And Often not formulated, but they're just some starting point as the idea progresses. I do tend to like to work with someone as a sounding board and, and they usually have a better idea of structure so I've worked with a lot with Bob Baker <clears> over <throat> the years on Wallace and Cromit and recently more recently mark burton mm-hmm. who who uh he he writes gags for have I got news for you right and okay. we've we've worked with him a lot here. he he was on chicken run and uh Curse of the Weir rabbit um, he, he's he's good great at gags and structure as well story structure
1: and so do you work in a, as a sort of group you know firing ideas at one another or, or very much alone?
0: yeah Aardman we're very much a, a collective really of we we have at least a meet a morning a week mm. or a couple of days a week really mm. where different groups get together and just brainstorm uh, a new ideas come in we bash it out and kick it around. Mm. <laughs> Quite often, so there's nothing left of it. <laughs> now, I know that there's you can't talk about anything you're working on. Apparently,
1: you're sworn to secrecy. I've been told that already. but You signed the form. <laughs> no, I haven't signed the form. But I won't. I, obviously, you know, you, you can only say what you can say. But mm. yeah, is there something coming up that you don't you can't talk about? But are you working on?
0: Yeah, yeah well, we are working on more Wallace and Gromit ideas. We've got Sean the Sheep series and a Sean the Sheep movie. Mm. Uh, I've I've had an idea I've been working on with Mark for two years now. Can't mention it, but it's no. a, not Wallace and Gromit. My problem is is that I I'd love to do Wallace and Gromit till the cows come home, but I also want to get other ideas out there as well, which are vying for attention.
1: Well, I mean Wallace and Gromit have become part of really British culture. I mean they've been mm. on stamps there, <laughs> you know you see them everywhere, and I you know everyone. Finds him very endearing,
0: and I, I guess sadly, what
1: happens if Peter Talis is no longer? He has such a distinctive voice, it's going oh, to be very
0: difficult. It's been wonderful it's ever since I met him. You know, I was at film school when I met him. Yes, so I, he, I gather, and you offered him rather a small amount of money. Didn't you? Yeah, I think we had 50 quid then to, to pay an actor, and uh, he came in and, and of his own transport and out in Beaconsfield. And I thought he was from Yorkshire, <laughs> I didn't realize he was home counties. But anyway, yeah, he, he did it as a as a favour, really. And then there was a big gap. Yeah, it was another six years before I wanted him to come back in and do some extra bits. Had you contacted him in between? No. Or was it just a... No. I know. <laughs> what did he say? And he he had this story that I, you were six years later, he, this, this person phoned him and it was my voice on the other end saying, I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember
1: that. Has he been amazed by the success of it all?
0: I think I think he has been. Yeah, he's, he he has said to me very affectionately how how much he's just loved doing it over the years. And I mean, he was he already had last of the summer wine and of and a few other things. And it, um it has made up a lot of his career. You know, now he's now known for Wallace, and it's been wonderful.
1: The question I always ask designers who have you know made it. Have struggled and done all the things that you've done. Is what advice would you give any budding Nick or Nicola Park <laughs> in this in this competitive, very competitive age who want want, want to pursue? The career that you, you've made so successful—it's
0: always a difficult one. I mean, I—I I think I can only talk from personal experience, really, because I—you I, know it's a—it diff- is a very changing world out there, different to uh, where I started. In that, you know, animation was very much a novelty, I think, back in the seventies. And uh, but there's a lot of people now in CGI, and it depends if you want to be an animator or more of a creator of a—you pro- know—that—that's the difficult kind of person to find. We, we find here is the most difficult person is the person who can. Take an idea and and really run with it as a there are the people who love to be great animators or storyboard artists or you know but the, the people the person who can so uh, the visionary think you know really grasp the characters and think up the gags and have the vision, yes, for the whole thing for the whole piece, yeah more like the conductor of the orchestra yeah or, or the composer of the music really. do
1: you go and see many? Uh, students, do you, are you exposed to students' work or are young, or do they just simply apply here and send show reels or whatever?
0: Um, I, occasionally, I, I mean, I, I, I find I just don't have time to yeah to see everybody. But uh, we, we have people here who look and, and filter down people's work, and I get I do get to see it. Yeah. Uh, and we're always looking for animators because a lot of animators, you know, we train and then they go on and go to Pixar or <laughs> somewhere yes, like that, and, yes, or, or DreamWorks, or yes. I've
1: so seen your Blue on. Peter instructional film mm-hmm. about how to make it, which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, because I think I any... <laughs> 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 I've mean, It's that. It's a very short little, you know, three-minute, four-minute film telling you the basics of animation, you know, how many mm-hmm. frames to take, you know, rather than to get the movement smooth and all of that. Yes. And I think any kid that is interested just needs to watch that film for a little bit and it will get them going with digital yes. cameras and stop frame yes. and that, it's a lot easier than yeah. when you were in your attic or in the garden with That's your 8mm right. yes. you know clicking away and I mean, that didn't have hoping sound no sound or and or no playback no zoom lens yeah.
0: or, or uh, focus Actually, yeah. it was all fixed focus yeah and and exposure was no uh, was very hit and miss, um, as you'll see from my early work. <laughs> and no. The focus was hit and miss. But, yeah, what kids have today now is, is incredible at the, at the disposal. And so many of them put stuff up onto YouTube,
1: you know, and um, yeah. films that they've made themselves, which are, yes. you know, quite extraordinary. And they get mm. thousands or millions sometimes of hits. It's yes. incredible the way yes. you can put things out there now. I guess you're not shooting on film at all anymore, are you? You started on film, I would have thought. Your yeah. early stuff must have been all film. Was Wallace and Gromit shot on film, 35mm um, or 16 we,
0: we switched over, it was 35mm. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I started filming Wallace and Gromit on 16 to start with, and then before I, I did one shot, the school got in this 35mm camera, so I switched. Yeah, we were shooting up to about five years ago on, on, on 35mm. On Chicken Run and Curse of the Abbot, we had the highest number of Mitchell cameras, thirty-five millimeter Mitchell cameras in in Europe. So
1: that was actually our shot on film.
0: Chicken Run. Uh, yeah. I yeah. thought that would have been digital yeah. by there then. There was a lot of digital work afterwards. afterwards you know, like yeah. smoke and yeah. flames and that kind yeah. of thing, um, as in any movie. But, um, but then it was a matter of loaf and death. We switched to digital, and Shaun the Sheep was already digital for TV. Mm. Then, so now we're fully we are fully digital now. Do you miss the passing of film, like so many um, <laughs> filmmakers, or do you? <laughs> thought i would i'd probably do in a way but it it kind of gone away really we had to have a There was like a teething process we had to go through of adapting to digital because you have to you have to kind of paint the sets a little bit differently and the colors because of what happens different vibrations whatever they're called you know different normal colors can look quite fluorescent and ugly at times so you have to be a bit careful.
1: I'm finding it very difficult these days when I go to see, it. even if I go to BAFTA and it's perfect projection, sometimes I get very confused about whether I'm watching film or digital. Yes. Simply because of what they've done, you know, they can desaturate, they can do all sorts yes. of things, and it's just a little tricky. But the crazy thing is, is you, you're trying to mimic film again. I know <laughs> it's. But well, there's something about that dancing mm. grain. In a way,
0: it's an unreality, isn't it? Yeah. I mean,
1: digital gives you a reality, like opening a yes. fridge door and seeing everything
0: mm. brightly lit. And 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 for clay animation as well, it's, we could get away with lots of imperfection before because the film somehow is more forgiving. Like if, if say a a, a a light has moved someone's kicked a light stand in the middle of a shot and you might get a little flick on the light. Before it might have been forgiving, but now everything, you know, the exposure all changes and everything compensates.
1: And I think now they're shooting on much higher frame rate, aren't they, For these... Very big productions now, these sort of... Like, Jackson, yeah, Peter Jackson. Yeah. Isn't he shooting on
0: a... I believe, to, on The know, Hobbit, yeah. Yeah, and it's
1: there's it's, there's it's so perfect, apparently, that yeah. it's just too much. Right. I, all. I, I haven't did, seen it, but... I
0: saw I saw it at the old frame rate for some reason. Oh, right, it, OK. In a local cinema. And I, I didn't want any more. Yeah. I, I was thought it was... The quality was... I, that's so all we'll, I needed. I we'll uh,
1: wonder what it's like on double the frame rate. Because...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I. I it's it's a funny old thing it's like we just want more reality all the time it? yeah it's kind of thirst for reality i remember in the 70s seeing a program about the early digital early computer animation and the you know the typical kind of bearded californian professor said so sort of saying the pursuit of reality is a worthy goal <laughs> and i was even then i was thinking why <laughs> Why is it a worthy goal? And, did, and digital it. then was
1: very amusing because it was yeah. so crude. Yeah. It really was, but now it's... Well, we come to the end. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work and hopefully Wallace and Gromit, which I'm sure is in the mm. background there. And Nick Park, thank you very much. Oh, it's
0: been really a pleasure.